folks who've given me such a very warm welcome. Thank you. It's been great being with you. Not in any way to shame you or to diminish that welcome. It rather pales in comparison to the welcome I got in East Bank, Malawi. <laughs> These dear folks uh, had been cut off in the flooding of 2005. And... Uh, well, for several weeks, they've been living on grass and leaves. Heard that we were coming and um, weren't sure exactly when. Many of them had gathered and been waiting four or five days for us. Took us two and a half hours to drive, converting from kilometers, uh, 17 miles. Roughest road I've ever been on. Malawi has two seasons, hot and stinking hot. This was stinking hot, about 126, 128 degrees. Can I have the next one up, please? I'd never seen poverty like that. I said out loud, this is the crucible of irrelevance. What, what can I possibly speak into these dear folks' lives. What right have I got to speak anything into their lives? And the tears were streaming down my face. Our host came up and said, I know the drive you've just had. I know how shattered you are. There's a senior gentleman here. He can't stay for the meeting. He's hoping you would pray with him. Would you mind? Of course, we wouldn't mind. Across the compound, so we're doing so, she said, um, it seems that he'd fallen into the fire, uh, unconscious, and had badly burned his leg. Got to him, he couldn't bear any weight on it, um, and pulled up his trouser leg, well, it had been sort of, the trouser leg had been cut off. If Porky there had been left on the spit, for another four or five hours too long. That's what this gentleman's leg looked like. I've, I've never seen human flesh look like that at all. Next one up, please. We prayed for some time. This is fairly on into the prayer. Um, not long into the prayer, he said to the pastor that's bending over, translating for us, he said, I can feel the Azungu's hand on the back of my calf. Azungu's Chichewa, loosely translated for big, dumb, white guy. <laughs> um, before, he couldn't feel anything. A little bit, he, he was upstanding and, and bearing weight. We borrowed a bucket, washed it clean three times, dumped the bucket out, had to buy the lady a new bucket. She didn't want it back after. All of the burned flesh and the infection and all of the yuck sloughed off. I was so repulsed by the look of the leg, I'd forgotten to ask him his name. I like to pray for people by name. Last one, please. His name's Lazarus. <laughs> Three months later... Uh, my host held another conference. Lazarus walked 
four days to the conference because he wanted to show off his leg, pulled up his trousers. There's no scarring. Third degree burns and no scarring. I want to tell that story for several reasons. One of them, and if you've been on the mission field, you know there is a wonderful freedom to pray for somebody when you know that they haven't got a clue what it is you're saying. (laughs) As in, Jesus, I don't know how to do this, but you do. You taught us to pray, as in heaven, so on earth. And nobody's leg looks like this in heaven. Whatever has to happen, that new creation, Lord, let the healing come. And thereafter, I prayed mostly in tongues because I sure didn't know how to pray. Far rather, the Holy Spirit take those words and put together whatever mystery needs to happen for new skin to form. Well, we've worked our way through the Luke 4, 18, 19 passage up to the recovery of sight to the blind. And as we begin this session, several presuppositions on my part. The first is that the majority of you have been around long enough to get it sorted that God still heals today. I would also presume that many of you have come from backgrounds where that wasn't always the case. That that one way or another, you, I, we were cessationists that healing, the miracles, ceased with the death of the last of the apostles and the closing of the canon. That God didn't do miracles anymore. We didn't need miracles. We have the scriptures now. What were we thinking? How many here need a miracle? Anybody need a miracle? Hmm. If your neighbor didn't put up his, his or her hand, they're in denial. The belief that the miracle ceased with the death of the apostles is not just bad theology, it's bad history. There's never been a season in the history of the Lord's church where signs and wonders and miracles weren't operative, weren't demonstrated, weren't seen somewhere in the life and ministry of somebody. Well... We're through that, thankfully. I'm also going to presume that most here are living with the feeling of spiritual schizophrenia. The anguish, the frustration with the gap between what we believe and what we experience. That that we believe that God can and God does heal but we're not seeing or not seeing 
often or not seeing often enough what we long to see. A lot of you are nodding, so we're pretty much on the same page there, yes? Okay. My hope this evening is to convince you and bring you to commitment to that living continuity between the scriptures and our present day life and ministry. But that has us dealing with the double gap from scripture to expectation and from expectation to experience. I want to try and close those gaps. The first way they get closed is through revelation. We've had a lot of teaching, and in our day, uh, John Wimber has played a huge part in closing that first gap from Scripture to expectation. He was certainly the one who closed the gaps for me, theologically. Wimber had a wonderful way with words. He put it simply. You read the Gospels, you have to conclude Jesus was either on his way from healing somebody, was healing somebody, or just come from healing somebody. He's right. Excuse me. That healing is inseparable for our understanding of the gospel. Part of the healing is the good news. That anything less than that healing, that restoration, is another gospel. It's not good news. And as Wimber put it, We all get to play. We get to do the stuff. That's God's purpose. We looked at some of those texts this morning. The Lord's commissioning, the Lord delegating authority to his followers. The power, the authority, the anointing. That's our inheritance. And for many in these sorts of circles, certainly in my own personal life, ministry, Heidi and Roland Baker have played key role in, in opening up more of that healing power, more of that healing authority. They've been my hosts in Malawi, in Mozambique. From Heidi, I learned it's not, the, it's not just the power of God that heals, it's the power of love. And watched her hug people into healing. She, she just hangs on to them until the Lord in his fullness restores. Well, in terms of scripture, we could look at so many different passages, but it seems that in Matthew chapter 8, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, Matthew arranges things such that several basic questions are answered. The first, in those opening verses of chapter 8, address the question, will Jesus heal? The leper asks that very question. If only you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus reaches out his hand. You don't touch lepers. They're unclean. But there's no foul thing that can defile Jesus. He says, of course I will. Be clean. 
The story of the healing of the centurion's servant addresses the question, can he heal? And the centurion declares, you need only say the word and my servant will be cured. Verse 8. Question, does he heal? Peter's mother-in-law. Verse 15. Jesus took her by the hand. The fever left. Matthew 8, 16, is this healing for all? He delivers many in the crowd, and he healed all who were sick. Is this healing for us? Verse 17, this was to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. He took away our infirmities, and he healed our diseases. Now, just want to establish one more piece before we move on. He healed all. Healed every sickness. We could look at a number of other passages. Matthew 4, 23 and 4. He went through Galilee and Syria, healing every kind of illness and infirmity. Sufferers from various diseases, those racked with pain. There are nine separate accounts in the Gospels that Jesus healed all disease. There isn't any account of Jesus coming across some sickness, some disease, and going, ooh, I don't do that one. Sorry, uh, don't have anything for you. There's no account. There's no triage. There's no record of Jesus turning anybody away. No one passed over. The ten lepers, the story of the healing of the ten lepers is really very telling. Again, leprosy was considered a curse, the curse of God, that those who had leprosy were unworthy. Jesus heals all ten of them, nine of whom had a pretty lousy attitude. There was only one who turned and brought forth any gratitude. You'd think if the stigma of leprosy, let alone the pain, let alone the numbness, let alone the disfigurement, got healed, you'd find the guy who's responsible and you'd fall all over him. Don't you think? And nine of them went away completely indifferent. And yet, they received, they were recipients of the Lord's mercy. Picture of unlimited mercy, undeserved kindness. We looked at Luke 10, 1, the commissioning of the 72. Mark 16, last verses, the resurrected Jesus promises, declares to his followers they would receive power, that they would lay hands on the sick and see them healed. Throughout the book of Acts, we read of the apostles healing the sick, Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, Philip, Ananias, Barnabas. Paul's letter to Corinth, chapter 12, in the gifts that are named, healing is among those gifts. 
healings, miracles. Certainly clear scriptural witness. I would encourage you, do some work, some historical work. Read some of the greats on healing. Francis of Assisi. Really, saint anybody. Catholic Church can't be a saint unless there's three documented physical healings. But St. Francis is a, is, a, is a great model. More recently, Smith Wigglesworth or William Branham, John G. Lake. Lake, Lake had an amazing healing ministry. Ministering in South Africa, for instance, during an outbreak of tuberculosis. And he came alongside to serve the doctors and the nurses. They're all gowned and masked. And Lake's just there, ungloved, unmasked. And they're saying, are you crazy? And he goes, you don't get it. Somebody had just died. Like says, take the spit, take the tuberculin spit, put it in my hand. Put it under the microscope. The spit beforehand, active tuberculosis, in his hand, dead. That'll build your faith a bit, won't it? More recently, always enough, some of the Baker's books on healing. Build your faith with stories, accounts, documents. William Branham, a rather strange man, but towards the end of his ministry, he was convinced that if he would pray for someone long enough, There was no sickness the Lord wouldn't heal. There are accounts of him praying for a blind boy on stage in front of the gathered for six hours. We pray for somebody for two minutes and think, I guess God doesn't want to heal. That kind of starts to stretch your faith a little bit, doesn't it? We prayed for Lazarus for almost an hour. Now, we were encouraged along the way, the feeling that came back into his leg and the strength and the skin. There is this second piece that there's revelation that comes both by Scripture and reading of of current account. Second, there comes a point where your expectation has to lead to experimentation. Now, I know that might sound a little loose, maybe even a little offensive, but, but the medical practitioners get to practice medicine. I think we get to practice healing. Randy Clark put it So simply, it was undeniable. He said, there's only one way to see people get out of wheelchairs. You got to pray for people in wheelchairs. (laughs) And he said, not everybody you pray for will get healed. But more people get healed when you pray for them than when you don't. Did you catch that? I know we've taken in a whole lot. Do I need to repeat that? 
When, when you get that settled, you sort of go, hmm, yeah. It's kind of hard to reduce that logic any further. And then, then if you will step out, over time, you build a kind of chain of expectation. Wimber used to say, if you'll commit to praying for 300 sick people, by the time you get to the 300th person, you won't have nearly the questions you have now. He also said, you can make a deal with God. I, I'm not so sure about this one, but I kind of like it. He said, commit that you will pray for 50 sick, 50 sick people before you give up. And if you pray for 50 people and nobody gets healed, then you can quit praying for them. But if the 48th person gets healed, you have to start at one again before you give up praying for the sick. That part I really like. It's a step of faith. It really is taking God at his word. A friend of mine, Ben Moore, said, if God didn't want us praying for the sick, he shouldn't have put that stuff in his book. I mean, I, I'm a pretty simple guy. It's in the book. He said we should do it. Okay. When I was at Battelle in Madrid, one of the guys I had met a year previously had had a very serious accident. He's an auto mechanic. He was working on a truck engine, and the hoist that was holding the engine broke, and the engine came crashing down before he could get cleared. Most of him got clear, but it landed on his foot. And the engine crushed his foot, smashed the bones. The bones healed up, but the, um, the, either the veins or the arteries, I don't remember which, were so crushed that the foot was going gangrenous. The blood wasn't circulating. And the doctors had told him, we're going to have to amputate. Well... My buddy Neville was with me. We said, John, we want to pray for you. Friday night, we laid hands on him. And uh, after we'd prayed for some time, 10, 15 minutes, John said, I can feel heat, more heat than just your hands. That's good. We prayed for him again Saturday morning. Prayed for him again Saturday night. Sunday morning, he came to church without his crutch. He's walking without his crutch. He said, can I testify? We said, yeah, what? He said, well, previously, my toes had been frozen. I couldn't bend them. I was getting dressed, and I realized that I'd bent my toes when I put my sock on. He said, I took my sock off, I rolled up balls of paper, and I've been picking up balls of paper that's why I'm late for church. <laughs> John went to see the doctor. The doctor was really impressed. John finished the testimony at church 
by jumping up and down on this foot that the doctors wanted to amputate. And he wrote then six months later, he plays one-on-one basketball with his daughter every week on this foot that the doctors wanted to amputate. I went from there, came back to Britain. Dear friend took me to my most favorite golf course in the world, Royal Scenic Ports out Deal, north of Dover. Had a wonderful round. We were in the bar for a drink. And uh, as it turned, the, the club secretary was retiring that day. And he and the head pro had been drinking all afternoon. They were legless. My friend was really excited about the healing story, John's healing. So he's telling these two guys about the healing. And the club secretary blurts out, well, if you can heal legs, heal my feet. I have plantar fasciitis. My feet are killing me. I can't walk around. I said, be glad to pray for you. Sit down. Because he was (laughs) doing one of these. I said, may I take your shoes off? He said, sure, I'll do that. Bent over. I thought he might Ralph on my shoes. But he got his shoes off. It was all okay. I, took, I sat down on the carpet, held his feet in my hands. The barmaid's eyes are like this. This is in the clubhouse. Prayed for a little bit. Spoke blessing in the name of Jesus. Colin says, it's so hot. It's so hot. I said, well, that's the love of God burning healing into your feet. I said, get up and walk around. He's patting around in his sock feet going, the pain's almost all gone. The pain's almost all gone. I said, well, almost is great, but let's see if the Lord will do more. Sat him down again, prayed for some more, and he's patting around goes, the pain's all gone. The pain's all gone. For the next week or 10 days, Colin's running around the clubhouse telling anybody who'll listen, this guy from Canada came and prayed for me, and Jesus healed my feet. It's quite a day when the unsaved are bragging on Jesus. Isn't it? Yeah? Isn't it? A month later, I was back in Madrid. One of the missionaries there also had plantar fasciitis. They were going to have to smash his feet, break, the doctors wanted to break his feet, reset the bones, and he'd be in a cast, I don't know, for a couple months. I said, may I pray for you before you do that? And he said, well, I've had a lot of prayer. This is a missionary, great man of faith. (laughs) I said, Blake, I want to pray for you. He said, okay. Please don't misunderstand me. I, I am in no way whatsoever bragging but on him. I sat down to pray for Blake's feet with as much confidence as I have when I stand in front of the Starbucks counter and order a venti bold. I know I'm going to get what I'm asking for. In that case, there was such a knowing. And Wigglesworth would say, only believe. And that used to drive me crazy until I had that sense that sense of the Lord's delegated authority to do this. Do I have that all the time? No, 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 no. Do I wish? Yes, 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 yes. 
But in that moment, I had that kind of confidence. No, I don't have any reservations. I don't have any wondering, am I going to get my venti? There was that sense that the Lord had purposed, called, ordained, anointed, took my sweaty hands on those smelly feet unto the coming of kingdom's authority, kingdom's restoration. Same thing with livers. At Battelle, uh, because of the dirty needles they've exchanged, AIDS, hepatitis is a big deal. It's quite something. The first time I was at Battelle, congregation of a thousand, you ask anybody who needs healing to stand, and 800 people stand. Pretty much the other 200 are too sick to stand. You ask them to lay hands on the part that most needs healing. A lot of their hands go to their liver. I kind of caught on quickly. I said, if you need healing, being translated, so I got a little bit of time. If you need healing in more than one place in your body, put your hand on top of your head. Most people had hands on top of their head. Of the thousand people gathered, 200 needed healing in their livers. We had five medically documented healings of hepatitis C in its final stages. I don't, I'm not, uh, those of you who are medical profession, you have to forgive how sloppy this is, but as I understand it, hepatitis C literally scars the blood cells. And these guys go for regular checkups, regular documentation. So it's all documented. And after the prayer time, the doctors can't figure it out because the blood cells aren't scarred any longer. They're, they're redeemed blood cells. I just think that's way cool. <laughs> that prayer time was preceded by praying years earlier for different individuals at Patel and their livers. One by one. There, this chain of expectation. As in Dandus, Mozambique. I don't have it with me, I'm sorry, but I have a photograph of an ex-blind man, blind woman counting fingers. That's kind of fun. Pointing out different things. Crowd gathers. When you have an ex-blind man, when you have an ex-lame man at your side kind of jumping up and down, they are great object lessons to preaching the gospel. <laughs> it, it, it really makes preaching really easy. Prayed for a blind, blind woman in Canterbury. I was full of faith, still blind. Prayed for quite a long time, still blind. Came back a year later, she was still blind. But the Lord had so moved in her that she was now heading up their 24-7 prayer ministry. Hadn't healed her eyesight, but had done 
this is her testimony, done such a deep work in her heart and spirit. That's how she wanted to give her life. So in Naples, Italy, prayed for a young man, a recovering heroin addict. His brother had shot him in the eye as a kid with a BB gun, blind in one eye. We were praying for his eye. Had to get a translator. He starts jumping up and down. And I'm saying, what? He was just going nuts. He'd had a scooter accident and had crushed his foot and broken his leg badly when he was a kid. And his, his leg always hurt and was always numb. And he really didn't have a lot of movement in his foot. We're praying for his eye and the Lord heals his leg. <laughs> now, that I don't understand. <laughs> but we're very grateful. I don't know whether the Lord just missed or something. I, I, I don't know. Prayed at length and have prayed repeatedly. Pray every trip for a woman in Madrid. Her, she was an addict. Her addict boyfriend got mad at her and shot her in the back. Shot her right through the spine. She's paralyzed from the waist down. Lovely woman, but confined to a wheelchair. We have prayed for her time and time again with no visible improvement. Now, I don't want to tell those stories. I've got lots of those stories. Because they don't discourage me. They challenge me. that they do stir a greater desire to contend, to learn, to receive more than I presently have, more than I presently move in. Randy's right. Not everybody we pray for is going to get healed when we pray for them. But more get healed when we pray for them than when we don't. Let me say a quick word about praying for unbelievers. You know, in a place of faith and healing, as in, do you have enough faith for your healing? I don't understand really where that question comes from. I know that time there are occasions when Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Unbelievers don't have faith. But it's often easier to pray for the unbeliever than it is for a cynical believer living with the teaching and a culture of doubt. I remember praying for a, a woman in a Baptist church had glaucoma. A friend brought her up. This woman's name was Colleen. Colleen looked at me and said, I, I don't really feel comfortable here. There's so many others with so many larger problems. Well, I had to deliver her of a poverty mentality before I could get to the healing prayers. Yeah, there are lots of people who have bigger problems. But we're each a son, a daughter of the king. 
He wants to bless his kids. Contrast with Colin, his club secretary, he didn't have any belief in God. But he could see faith in my eyes. Knew I believed. He believed in me as I believed in God. Does that make sense? He didn't have faith, but he had faith in my faith. I didn't have faith. I had faith in God's faithfulness. Big difference. We, we have to live with this double gap. One of the ways we do that is, again, Hebrews 12, 1, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. That, that implies process, progress. Jesus has made a beginning, isn't quite over yet. There's more revelation, there's more kingdom authority. More than there was, not all that there will yet be. We're living in between. There are huge distances yet to travel. But there's less kingdom revelation, less kingdom authority now than there will be five years from now, if we'll contend. Well, I think the biggest thing is a refusal to diminish the revelation of Scripture to the level of our inexperience to conclude that God doesn't heal because we haven't seen it. No, it's in the book. I want to work at bringing my experience up to what the scriptures declare to be God's purpose, God's intention, God's will. And in that, then, we, we could quote a little William Blake, a man's reach must exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven for? He understood. And I'm sorry, I need to apologize. I have tried to take this illustration from baseball to cricket, and it don't work. <laughs> so I'll have to explain a little bit of baseball. Professional baseball player. If he has a batting average of 300, he makes a lot of money. A batting average of 300 means for every time he gets to bat, three times out of 10, he makes it to first base. He doesn't score a run. He gets to first base. Still has to get to second, third, and home in order to score a run. Batting average of 300. So seven out of, seven out of ten times at bat, he fails and makes several million dollars. It'd be quite ludicrous to quit baseball after your first strikeout, wouldn't it? And yet we pray for the sick once. Nothing happens, and we conclude we must not have the gift. I hope 
that you can come to the place where you are absolutely certain that Jesus wants you to pray as in heaven, so on earth, your will be done. Lord's Prayer. few more people nod their head yes. If indeed that is the Lord's will, the Lord's purpose, this is the Lord's mandate for us. The disciples ask, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, okay, pray this way. As in heaven, so on earth, let your will be done. That begs the question, how much of heaven Will we, can we see here on earth? I think we have to conclude not all yet. Not all of earth will be transformed unto heaven yet. The Lord purposes a new heaven and a new earth ultimately. But there's more of heaven for us to see than we are presently seeing now. More of heaven to be made manifest here on earth than we presently see and experience. Yes? Does that make sense? And so we contend for that. More of heaven transforming this world. And so that has us committed and reconciled to both praying for the sick and burying the dead. That's where we are, folks. In this interim period until Jesus returns and restores the fullness of kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth, our mandate is to pray for the sick, And to bury the dead. And we're living in between. I know in my own life, without the commitment to contend for an increase, an increase in authority, an increase in, in the anointing, without that commitment, I find myself defaulting to mediocrity. And that's an unsatisfactory way to live. I don't want to go there. Don't want to be there. So how do we pray for the sick? Mahesh Shavda would teach that we pray for the sick with our eyes closed because we don't want to see unbelief on the face. Not that Phil has unbelief. I'm just... I have to be really careful. You want to close your eyes so that you can focus on Jesus. Wimber taught that you pray for the sick with eyes open because you want to see what the Spirit of God is doing. You can always tell people who've been both conferences. (laughs) For all that we learn on the how-to, it's not methodology. There really isn't a how-to, but that we discern and attend to what the Spirit is calling forth. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. That's our mandate, too.
that ongoing relationship, not methodology, relationship with the Lord, what are you calling forth? How do you want us to do this? It's one of the reasons why the Mozambicans see the healing that they do. They're not caught up like we are with the how-to. They just take it on authority. Jesus says we're supposed to. They go, okay. And they do. Further, we have to get it settled, as I so know the feeling. If I pray for somebody and nothing happens, what will they think? Which, being translated, means if I pray for somebody and nothing happens, I'll feel like an idiot. Get over it. <laughs> Folks, we cannot, we must not promise healing. Not everybody we pray for will get healed the first time we pray for them. But we ought to be able to promise that everybody we pray for will feel loved. And that in and of itself heals something of the soul. As Mother Teresa said, heals the cancer of loneliness. And that's no small thing. We cannot promise healing every time we pray for folks. But we ought to be able to promise that they'll feel loved. Well, a little bit more baseball. I've certainly had to confess that I have struck out so many times I have not been willing to go back up to the plate. I know cricket, you, you're one out and you're done for the game. Pity if it's the first batter. <laughs> it's a long day. <laughs> Baseball, you get to go around the loop again and again and again. Unless you so lose confidence, you just don't want to play anymore. And so I would think that some of you may need to ask the Lord's forgiveness. To confess that um, in the discouragement you've settled for far less than what the Lord purposes. For you, from you, through you. You, that we have failed in living out what he's delegated. Failed in, in the commission that he's given to us. To pray for those around us. After, after that confession, I want to share with you a prophetic word. It's actually two words. Begin again. <coughs> Begin again. Whether it's in terms of praying for the sick, whether it's in terms of your prayer life, no matter what the failure, how, how abject the failure, take a deep breath, begin again. That's redeeming grace. Start over. 
Commit to a continuous commitment to begin again. How many of you here need a healing touch from the Lord? Need physical healing on your body? How many of you don't have your hand up because you think, well, it's not really that bad? <laughs> Let's ask it this way. How many of you here have absolutely no aches, no pains, no physical dysfunction whatsoever? You are the perfect paradigm of health. How many of you here need a healing touch from the Lord? <laughs> like, folks, what? You kind of settled on it? You go, well, I guess God doesn't want to heal me. When, we're, when the book promises resurrection life to our mortal bodies, how many of you kind of like a bit of that? You see the problem that this creates? See, healing ministry cannot be a platform ministry. There are too many of you for me to pray for. I'd be here all night. There isn't one single person here that's walking in perfect health. This has to be a body ministry has to be brothers and sisters praying for brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. Okay, good, good, good. You got a pair of hands? Jesus says, you will lay them on the sick and they will be healed. Let me say this piece, and then I'm pretty much done. Ours is a delegated authority. Are you familiar with that phrase? That means there's a world of difference between asking Jesus to heal our friend, our neighbor. Jesus, would you pour out healing grace, Jesus? And in the name of Jesus, speaking that healing to our friend, to our neighbor. If we're asking Jesus for the healing, we're really, really stepping out of the responsibility that he's given us. We're asking him to do the very work that he told us to do. I would hope that you have absolute confidence that you can speak blessing in the name of Jesus. What, whatever the need, whatever the issue, 
to be able to stand with that delegated authority and speak blessing. I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. Yes? You have the confidence that God, that's who God is, that's his nature, and that in that same sort of flow, I think we ought to have the confidence to speak blessing, the blessing of healing in the name of Jesus. Thereafter, we need to start attending as to what the Spirit of God is stirring in that particular time for that particular person. See what comes up. See what the Lord gives. It does require that we wait, that we be willing to wait, and that we try to get as quiet as we can. There is no connection between volume and anointing, folks. <laughs> we don't have to get God's attention here. We attend. So I'm going to suggest that you turn yourselves into little groups of three or four and you pray for one another. You speak blessing over one another. You don't have to go into a long explanation. Just put your hand where you most need healing. The folks will figure it out. If it's a private part, you can figure out something. <laughs> Are you all right here? Some of you, the spit's disappeared. You need a healing of spit. <laughs> Let's pray before we break into clusters. Lord, we we sing, we used to sing that song, you came from heaven to earth to show the way. We believe from the record of your word that healing was very much front and center in your demonstration of the power of love. The power of redeeming love, the power of restoring love, the power of recreating love. Lord, that you should delegate that authority to the likes of us humbles us, confounds us, amazes us. And we do ask forgiveness for our disbelief for how quickly and easily we get discouraged for the ways in which we've compromised 
and even contradicted ourselves. Holy Spirit, in your grace, we pray that you would stir and awaken and re-impart to us all of the gifts that you purpose for us, all the gifts that you purpose for your body, all of the authority, the anointing, the compassion that you purpose for us as your people. Lord, we pray that you would yet teach us how to pray, what it means to pray for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done here on earth as in heaven. Lord, we don't want to settle for anything less. than the coming of your kingdom, the transforming of the kingdoms of this world, the redemption, the restoration, the recreation of all that is mashed and marred. We ask for grace this evening, Lord, as we pray for our friends, for our families, for our brothers and our sisters. Lord, on our hands, would you grant that anointing, that power, that authority, by your grace that enables us to bring healing to your glory, Jesus. Even now, as we break into our little groups, Lord, would you be pouring forth that anointing unto the healing that we need. Lord, with it, we pray that you grant us that gift of faith. Faith that is assured of your faithfulness. Faith that is assured of your unfailing love. Thank you, Lord. Break in groups of three, certainly no more than four. Lay your hands on what most needs healing. Take turns blessing one another. Speaking in the name of Jesus. Fiddled it back and forth. Is that off now?
that's just disconnected. I don't need it anymore, I don't think.